We're going through the second half of Ephesians, considering what the, what the Christian life looks like, given who we are as Christians. And tonight we're going to think about how wonderful a thing it is to be a, a child of God, to know that as who we are, and we'll see how that affects the way that we live. And maybe you're here tonight and you are not a Christian. Um, what we're about to, to read and to think about together is not, it's not a list of do's and don'ts that make God um, accept you, that make you a better person, that make Christians better than everyone else. That is not what we're looking at tonight. What we're looking at is what the people who God loves, the people who are God's children, this is what they're expected to live like. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Hopefully you, you'll see, hopefully you'll be convinced that that's a really wonderful way to live. Um, but hopefully you'll be even more convinced of what a wonderful thing it is to be a child of God, to know him as Father. So let's read these verses together. And uh, we'll pray for a little bit and then we'll think about them. So chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray very quickly together for God's help before we start looking at this passage. Father, help us um, to see your majesty and your glory tonight. Help us to consider your holiness and your love towards us. Help us to grasp all these things in our minds and in our hearts, and through your Holy Spirit, help it all to, to make sense. Help us to respond well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, let me start tonight by saying something, uh, making a statement, um, which might sound a bit weird, a bit out there, um, it's, it's in the passage, I've just kind of rephrased it a bit, and it might be, make it fresh in your ears, hopefully. Um, maybe you picked up on this right at the start of our reading. And it's an astonishing thing that Paul says. Here's what he says, I'm going to go for it. He says, you, the Christian, 
You can be like God. That's weird. Think about it for a second. Have a look at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul is um, writing to this church in Ephesus, and he's been helping them think through how a church should function, given what it is, and it's an amazing thing. It's where God manifests his wisdom, wisdom to the world. That's the language that he uses later on. It's an incredible institution. It speaks wonders about God and what he is like. And so we've been looking in the last few weeks, in the later chapters of this letter, that the people which make up this community, they need to think and they need to act a certain way. They need to live out what God has made true of them. And what we're going to see in these verses tonight is that God has made us his children. And he loves his children. And it's right that his children are like him. Um, It's true that um, children often copy their parents naturally. um, In their mannerisms, in the way that they speak, in the phrases that they use, in their attitudes. Um, it's, it's expected that children will be somewhat like their parents. Um, I'm currently realizing that the older I get, the more I become like my parents. Um, have you had that moment of revelation? Yeah, I'm sure you have. Uh, I had it recently, earlier on this week, I did something and I thought, my goodness, I'm just like my dad. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> now, when thinking of my earthly father, that filled me with dread and despair. But Paul wants us to be filled with joy and to be encouraged when we think of our father in heaven and realize that we are being like him. That's a good thing. Look at what he says in verse 1 again. You are beloved children. Imitate him. Have a look down at verse 8. Uses the children language again. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you're a Christian here tonight, that is who you are. You are sons and daughters of God the Father. The infinite, omnipotent Lord and creator of the universe loves you as his child. And just think about that for a second. That's amazing. And so it's natural for us to be, for us to want to be like our Father. Being a child of God must have an effect on the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak. We're to be more and more like our Father in heaven. And we're going to see what that looks like. Paul puts it very starkly, very strongly, as we read in those verses. It looks like goodness. It looks like righteousness. It looks like truth in every aspect of our lives. And it looks like no room for impurity and selfishness. Um, a quick aside, um, there might be some of us here who have not, have, have, have not had the best upbringing or the best parents or the best father. And, um, if that's you, hopefully um, Paul will assure you through um, his words tonight that you have an amazing father in heaven who loves you and cares for you more than you will ever know. Okay. Um, Before we dig into the practicalities of these things, let's dwell on this love that we've been shown as children, because Paul dwells on it. Um, Point number one in your sheets in the back um, of the service sheets, you found them in your Bibles, 
Verse 2, have a look at that. It's really, really interesting, this verse. And Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And he could have just stopped there, couldn't he? That's a wonderful ex- exhortation. Christ has loved you, so you love him. Love others in the same way. But he goes on to describe what this love is like very explicitly. He says, Christ loved you like this. He was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He could have just stopped it, gave himself up for us. Why go to this sacrificial temple description of love? Well, the answer is, he wants to bring to our minds exactly what this amazing love achieved for us. It was the offering that was pleasing to God, the sacrifice in our place. And it's worth, worth pondering on that a little bit um, before we get uh, to the rest of the chapter because it helps to get us to understand what Paul goes on to say. Think of the temple in the Old Testament. What did, what did it represent? It was a representation of God's dwelling amongst his people, not that he was bound to it, as we saw this morning, if you were here. It was grand and it was beautiful and it was supposed to display who God is, what his character is like, much like the way you decorate your house. It displays something about you, your personality. It shows what you care about. And according to the temple, two things were clear. There were others, but these two things were clear. Um, He loved his people. He wanted to be with them. And he was holy. And if you think those two things contradict each other or stand in tension, um, you're absolutely right. (laughs) This place was fit for a holy God because not a drop of impurity, filth, could go anywhere near it. And it's not just dirt, like, like what you get on a, in a bin or whatever. It's sin. Sin is this rejection of the love of God and the goodness of God that makes men and women act in evil ways. That was to be nowhere near God. Nowhere near Him. He's not indifferent to it. It's not like He doesn't care. He won't stand it. You will not stand it. And that makes sense. So if I'm an Israelite back then, how in the world am I supposed to approach this God? I know I'm sinful. I recognize I have no business being near such a holy God. Oh, he's great. He makes a way. He provides a sacrifice that receives the punishment that the sin deserves and it makes you clean. It makes you acceptable. Back in the day, like I was there, back in the day, that was done through an animal that was slaughtered. And think about it, that's supposed to be, that's a sobering thing, isn't it? Upon this animal, you witnessed what you deserved in your sin And that is death. You saw what it costs for an unholy person to come near a perfect, unholy God. And Paul reminds us that that's what Jesus did for you on the cross. 
He was the offering, and he was the sacrifice. Before he goes on to expand what a, this, a child of God lives like, remember the love with which you have been loved. The sacrifice that was made on your behalf. For all of us here at Chamish Church who follow Jesus, Jesus died in your place. And that has caused the, the category shift in your person that Ephesians talks about. You've gone from outsiders to children. You've gone from foreign alien enemies to family. The love we have been shown is immense. It's huge. It's amazing. It cost him everything. That's who we are. We're children. His wrath is no longer upon us. He's not angry with you anymore. It's amazing that God would do that for you. Isn't it? Your father really, 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 really loves you. He really loves you. Look at Jesus on the cross. So as we jump into verse 3, and the next point in your sheets, um, keep that in mind. Um, we're going to have a look at um, impure thoughts, attitudes, deeds that should be, well, should not be anywhere near a holy God. The things that deserve death. The things that necessitated a sacrifice. As we consider these things, you need to remember it is not your conduct that is the price that needed to be paid. It's not your goodness that paid for your salvation. It was Jesus that paid for it. Your beloved child. And some of your parents here tonight, And do you stop loving your children when they muck up? Just don't. You don't. However, you must not be naive. Paul won't allow it. He wants us to know. He wants us to feel the seriousness of this because this is the stuff that put Jesus on a cross. And you as a child of God, you need to know that. And you should not, and you do not have to, go anywhere near this stuff again. So let's read um, verses 3 and 4 again very quickly. Paul says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Okay, let's be clear. Cards on the table, honest. Um, is there sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness amongst us here, saints at Chalmers? Yes? How do I know that? Um, I have to think of myself this week. That's all I have to do. And I know that that's true. Is there filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking amongst us at Chalmers? Yes. Again, speaking to myself. How does that make you feel? Paul is saying that these things 
are not proper amongst the saints. They're out of place amongst the children of God. These are not God-like behaviors. God doesn't want you to behave you. God doesn't want you to behave like this. His children do not behave like this. In the sexual realm, we uphold God's good pattern, and we believe that in marriage between a man and a woman, sex is enjoyed at its fullest. In a committed relationship in which the goal is not selfishness, but self sacrificial love, just like God's love. We imitate him in that realm. Um, now, that's not what your colleagues at work or your uni pals think. Certainly not the overwhelming opinion of Western society, which thinks that, well, for sex, not even love is a requirement. You just need consent. And as we're bombarded by this attitude which really is, you know, sexual satisfaction and expression as the pinnacle of life and happiness, and that is all around us, it's really hard. It's really hard not to conform from the things that we watch on TV, the internet that we go on, the thoughts that we indulge when we're alone. All this selfishness, the self-gratification that we want, it's not God-like love. His love is self-sacrificing. He gave everything. That is true love. This corrupted love for self and not God is not to exist amongst God's children. But it does, doesn't it? And so we need to remember verses 1 and 2. And because of them, we need to do something about it. It means you make sure you're accountable. It means you make sure you don't go near the book. You don't go near the TV show, the internet, if it causes you to forget God's love for you. And it causes you only to satisfy yourself and love yourself at the expense of your relationship with your father. And not only is sexual immorality highlighted, but also all kinds of impurity, greed, covetousness, our speech, Do we live in the light of who we really are when we think about how we spend our money? Is covetousness driving you to seek satisfaction, to love all the things that you don't yet have? Would you be happy for for us to be privy to your private conversations, WhatsApp groups, text messages, all that? Is the derogatory dirty-minded way of talking that's so normative out there, infiltrating its way into your speech. Again, I'm speaking to myself here. As a child of God. Paul says, verse 4, replace all of those things with thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? How is this an antidote to all of these attitudes. Here's why. I wonder what you're thinking. As you think about this and you consider what it looks like in your life, and it's hard. I hope you've done that in the last couple of minutes. 
What do you think God is thinking of you? How do you think he feels towards you as you've just taken five minutes to ponder all of this stuff? Does he hate you? Is he angry? No. You are still his beloved child. Remember, you are a child of God. Be thankful for the sacrifice that was paid in your place. If you're stung by these things, let it drive you to your knees in thanksgiving and love him more. That's what thanksgiving does, isn't it? It just makes you love him more and yourself less. It might be that um, you walk around and every day you're stung by sin and the sin that you have in your heart. Don't forget that you're a child of God and be grateful. It might be maybe you're sat here and this is the first time in a long time that God is causing your conscience to flash. That sometimes happens. Remember you're a child of God and be grateful. But don't think that nothing needs to change. I think Tim Keller um, puts it really, really well when he says, um, God sees us as we are. He loves us as we are. He accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us where we are. So, Jesus loves you. Your father loves you and died for you. That's how he feels. You don't need to indulge in any of this. This stuff doesn't go near him. Be grateful. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. Paul says, For you may be sure of this. You may be sure. You know that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You may be sure, Paul says in verse 5. In other words, don't be naive. Don't act like this stuff doesn't matter, this sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry. You know it has no place with God. Remember the sacrifice that was necessary. sacrifice that has been paid so we can be close to God. Don't think that you can just indulge in all this and it will be okay. That's a dangerous place to be. Verse 5 seems really harsh, doesn't it? I think all Paul is saying is, to the Christian, don't live like those who have no inheritance. You do have an inheritance. You're a child of God. The unbeliever who dwells in this stuff unrepentantly, he has no inheritance. You are a child of God. If you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, that's you. But maybe um, you're here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you're thinking, this is a bit harsh. It's, if no one can meet these standards, what's with all this damnation? Um, it sounds angry, hateful, spiteful. I don't want anything to do with it. On the whole, I'm a good person. Um, 
let me say, it's not unreasonable to think like that. I completely understand why you would think like that. But remember verse 2. The primary means by which God displays his love for us is not by letting us do whatever we want. It's not Christ loved us and gave us unsolicited freedom to dive into whatever forms of sex, greed, and speech that we want. The way in which he fully displays his love is by dying in our place. Because he is the creator God, he sets the rules, he knows what's best, and his rules are really, really good. And not to follow them, and not to trust him, it's harsh, it's the way that Paul puts it, it's to be immoral, impure. And God, because he is good, he's not indifferent to immorality, and his wrath, as we saw in verse 6, is upon evil people. That's everyone. But the shocking reality is, here's a surprise, God will not unleash his wrath on everyone, but instead on his son. That's a surprise. And he will count him as a sacrifice in your place. That's love. That's incredible love. That is the love that is before you tonight. That's the love all the Christians in this room are recipients of. We don't think we're perfect. We know that we fall short. But we know God has made us his children. So if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're here tonight, don't ignore this. You are invited to become a part of this family, a child of God. The culture around you will tell you, you're okay, you're fine. Paul says in verse 6, don't be deceived. You're not okay. And you need a sacrifice to take away God's wrath. Jesus is that sacrifice for you, freely given. Trust in him. If that's you, um, come and chat to me afterwards or speak to the person that brought you. Um, For those of us here in the church who do follow Jesus, we know, we can be sure. What's the danger? The danger is that what becomes acceptable out there soon becomes acceptable in here. In the church, certain practices, attitudes, words, speech, that is acceptable out there, suddenly becomes acceptable in here. And we know, we know that kind of stuff deserves God's wrath. That is a danger. That's serious. That's serious stuff. But remember who we are. We are children of God. We have a Father who has demonstrated his love for us in a wonderful way. We act like him. We want to be like him. We want to imitate him. And lastly, and more quickly, the last point in our sheets, Paul turns to a slightly different image that describes who we are as Christians. We're still children, but we're children of Light. I wonder if you're um, 
still feeling a bit, a bit down or a bit stung by what we were talking about earlier or thinking about earlier. Have a look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is what's true of you. Even in your struggles with sin, don't sell yourself short. Don't think too little of yourself. Don't diminish the sacrifice that Jesus was for you. You are light. You have been made light. The light of Jesus has shone on you, verse 14, as Paul puts it. That means you don't partner with the darkness. And what that doesn't mean is that we detach ourselves completely from the world. Otherwise, how can the light shine in the darkness if it's hidden? What it means is we're not deeply ingrained within the world. We go to work, we go to the cinema, we enjoy our hobbies, we go to the party, and in those places and in those situations, we are distinct light. And we produce fruit, what is good and right and true. And we please God, our Father, as we live our lives in every sphere, striving to be who we are, to be like our Father, fighting sin, knowing we are loved, Just that is light to the world. Look at what Paul says in verse 11 onwards. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. The light exposes the darkness, and when the darkness is exposed, it becomes light. That's weird. It's difficult to get your head around. Um, I think, having looked at some commentaries, I think all it means is the light not only makes the darkness in secret visible, but it also transforms it. How many times have you heard a testimony? of someone who became a Christian that began with, there was a guy in my office and he was just different. Or this friend or this family member, we heard it from Pat tonight. And the way that they lived seemed so much better or, or, or different. I had to know more. That's light shining in the darkness in all our imperfections. That's light shining in the darkness. And by doing so, it makes things visible. It exposes the unfruitfulness of the darkness. It makes people see. I think that's right. It makes people see the futility of life without God and without Jesus. And transforms it into light. Isn't that amazing? Is Chalmers Church a light to Edinburgh, to Morningside? Yes. Yes, it is. Are the children of God in this church committed to pleasing the Lord in all that is right and good and true? Yes. Yes, we are. That's who we are. That is who we are. So we live like it. We've seen tonight 
this sharp distinction that exists between God's children and those kind of in the surrounding world. Sexual purity, wholesome speech, no greed. These things are completely opposed to the world around us. And we feel the tug, we do. We feel the tug to compromise and to conform. And we do conform. But we are light that shines in the darkness and transforms it. We are beloved children. And Jesus paid our sacrifice, paid paid the price for our sacrifice. That is who we are. That's who we are. Let's pray. Father, we are... We are grateful, we are really, really grateful that we can call you Father. We're grateful that you've made a way for us to be your children through the love that you've shown to us on the cross and your sacrifice. We pray that you would help our lives to reflect that truth more and more day by day. In Jesus' name.